Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. If you're a hodler and looking at the balance of your portfolio, wishing you could spend some of it without cashing out, this week we sit down with Rob Wolf from Digital Asset News to unpack crypto loans, how they work, what they charge, and whether it's a smart move right now. Rob is an absolute legend. He runs the popular crypto YouTube, Digital Asset News, and breaks things down in a way that is really easy to understand. We chat through the Fed meetings, navigating the hype of YouTube, and the question you all wanted us to ask, why he really moved to Puerto Rico. Now, after this episode, if you're thinking, oh my God, I need to get in on this action and some of the assets Rob recommends... Our friends at SwiftX are giving you $10 worth of Bitcoin just for signing up. So head to the links in our show notes to find out how you can take advantage of that. So whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Rob Wolf. It is so wonderful to have you here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Good times ahead. Definitely. Good times. Interesting week. Just had the Super Bowl yesterday, which was lots of fun. Now, Rob, the question that we ask everyone to the podcast before we get into it is, what was your very first cryptocurrency purchase? <laughs> so, so it wasn't a really a purchase purchase. But my son came home and he said, hey, I got this guy at school and he's got this hard drive and he's going to sell 500 Bitcoin for $500. Do you want to get it? And I was like, What's Bitcoin? And my son, he, he, he tried to explain it to me. And like, everybody's the same way when they start to explain Bitcoin or like crypto in general. Like, well, it's this thing and it's decentralized and it's really safe. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I go, that just sounds stupid. I go, I, I don't think that's, that's a thing for me. So no, I'm not, I'm going to pass. And he's like, well, okay. And then that was it. And then I, I heard about it like the next year, I think in 2013, China banned Bitcoin again. Right. Like it always gets banned. Then I'm like, see, I told you, I told I go, see, I told you it wasn't going to work out. And then of course the next year I'm like trying to ban Bitcoin again. That's crazy. And then I got back in around 2017, November, I figured out, I'm like, you know, I keep hearing about it. Maybe I should do some, a little bit of research. And the research that I did, I think was like what most people did, which was, Hey, the price goes up. I should probably buy that. Mm. And then I bought that. <laughs> and so it was 2017 Bitcoin when we were going on the parabolic bull run. That's when I got into it. Oh my goodness. How insane. Imagine. And like, I think we, we always talk about this on the podcast as well. Like people that get in that early, if you did buy that 500 Bitcoin way back then, it would have been so hard to hold. Like, you know, when China does ban it, like not a lot of people would have had that conviction to hang on to it the whole way through. There's no, I'm telling you, there's no way. And, and even if like, even back then, because I didn't know about it, I just knew price goes up. Price goes up. I want that. But even if it would have went from a dollar so let's say it went to $10. I'm like, you know what? I just 10X my money. This is dumb. I'm out of here. I never, ever would have held on to it. And that's why I think it's just so important for education as to why, you know, crypto and digital asset space is so important moving into the future, because that's what's going to really give you the ability to hold on to something that you actually believe in. Definitely. And in 2017, when you did buy, have you held since 2017? <laughs> So I laugh at that because like I get this question a lot. And what happened in 2017 is I bought Bitcoin at 8,500 bucks. I thought I was a genius. And at 12,500 I bought and 17,500. And I kept going up. And then of course I would hear of all the influencers. You know, John McAfee told me it was going to go to a million. He wouldn't lie to me. 
and it didn't go to a million. So it went from 19,000, almost 20,000, and it dropped down to 15 and 14, then below my purchase price. And before you know it, I was like, man, I had just bought a bunch at the very, almost the very top. And I sat down with my wife. I said, well, here's the thing. I went in real heavy at the wrong time. And I didn't really understand some principles. So here's my options. I could sell for a loss and just go about my merry way. Or what we're going to do is I'm going to keep buying this thing. I'm going to figure out the best way, dollar cost average. And I'm going to keep going as long as I can. So I never sold anything because I was like, I'm not in the business of losing money. I've been doing a bunch of businesses for, for many years and that's not my MO. So I said, I'm just going to stick it out because I think there's something to it. And then from that time, I don't know if you, remember, you probably remember these times, 2018, 2019, awful, awful time to invest. But that's where all of my money in crypto was made. And I think that's where a lot of people who are getting into it, like in 2021, 2020, they don't really grasp it yet because I was in the same position they were in. But as time goes on, you give it three, four years, you'd be like, now I get it. That's, that's what it takes. Sticking to your strategy, which I, I would love to get into. But before we do, most people will know exactly who you are. Uh, Digital Asset News is one of my favorite mediums to actually consume content and learn from. But for those who haven't found you yet, can you let us know a little bit about yourself and what Digital Asset News is? Yeah. So Digital Asset News, it's a YouTube channel. And I started it about uh, two years ago. I started mostly... Well, there's two reasons. First of all, because the businesses that I do have, uh, they pretty much run by themselves. The online education platform that runs by itself, the sports facility, there's somebody who runs it for us. The short-term rentals, I mean, that's run by a management company. And then uh, the Amazon business is pretty darn simple. You just find some products and slap them over there and off they go. So uh, there was a little boredom aspect. The second part was people, friends, family, loved ones are getting sick of me talking about them constantly. So I said, you know what? I think I'm going to spread the word in another way because I'm speaking to the same people and they don't want to hear it no more. So I got into it for that second reason. I think the third reason I got into it was because when I got into crypto in 2017 and 2018 and YouTube, it was nothing but people talking to me. Everything was going to go to the moon. It was going to happen tomorrow. And I get it now that I'm in the game because it's all about sensationalism and putting things out there. But you have to be honest with people and tell them the truth, which is the truth is you're not going to get rich overnight. I don't care how many Dogecoin millionaires are out there. You can, but there's very few and far between. It really does take that mentality to stick it out for the long run. So I just said, when I do my channel, I'm going to try to give people both sides of the same story and then just try to give them the best information I can and not be too hypey and just say, hey, it's going to take some time and some days really do suck. And I do love that. Like I love when you even just go and get news articles and unpack what's actually being said in those. Because again, they're types of mediums that are often sensationalized, as you said, but geared for clickbait. You know, the titles they oh, put up. It's just yeah. insane, some of them. Well, I'll be I'll be honest with you. I mean, I am not immune to the clickbait bug every so often. I will throw some trash out there. That is true. But I try to really get out because you can't, I mean, you know how it is with the pot. You can't just put in like like a thumbnail that says, news, come listen to this. Okay, like, hey. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to this. Not, tell me why this is important. And then I'll actually come and show up. So yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things you have to do, but you try to even it out. Definitely. And what do you think about like the whole YouTube space? It has changed even just in the last six, 12 months. It has changed so much with sponsorships that we've seen coming through for 
NFTs and all sorts of things. Do you think it's still a good medium for people to get their news? So there's an option. I think in every country, you're going to have the people that just don't trust what we call here the mainstream media, which is the media, the mainstream media in a lot of places. This is a debatable thing. You can say that it's bought and sold by huge corporations. You can say that it is under an independency and they can do what they want, or there's some kind of mesh in the middle. I, myself, kind of prefer to get some news from the things that I digest and form my own opinions. Now, what I try to do is put that out there and give them to people. So is this a good place to get news? It's the same thing as like when you turn on TV. Some places, they're just awful places to get news. And even though they say that, well, you know, we are journalists, even they get it wrong. So it's up to you, even if you're looking at the traditional TV or you're in social media type of places that you get the the news from, there's still relevant places, but you have to make sure that you follow up and make sure that you're getting uh, your right stuff by doing the research you have to do. And as we're talking right now, you have the most beautiful backdrop behind you, which most people will see if they follow you on YouTube as well. Now, a question that I think almost every single one of our listeners was very interested in is the journey behind moving to Puerto Rico and and what kind of instigated that for you? Yeah, yeah. So it's a funny thing. Like, I don't know what the capital gains taxes are over there. So in, in America, there's short-term and long-term capital gains. Short-term are less than 12 months. And if you're doing that, it's all based on your tax bracket. So 28, 33, 37%, somewhere around there, or 42. And then after 12 months, it's kind of like a, a base level of around 20, 21%. And then that's just the federal. Now, there's also state long-term capital gains. Like in Texas, it's where I'm from, it's zero. But in California, just add on another, I think it's 6 or 7%. So we're looking at 28% somewhere around there. Pretty crazy. However, there's this place called Puerto Rico. It's great. And it is a territory of the United States. It's uh, right off of Florida. Very nice place. Right now, it is February 14th, Valentine's Day. And uh, it's a beautiful day over here. And it's a, always around 80 degrees. Every day I wake up, it's about the same. So the weather is very nice. But what's even nicer is that there are 0.0 capital gains tax when you move over here. There's stipulations for that. First of all, when you move out over here, you can't just say, hey, I'm Puerto Rican now, and then just do whatever you want to do. You've got to be here 183 days. You have to fill out paperwork that gives you what's called Act 60. You have to come in here, and you also have to give a certain amount of funds to the Puerto Rican government. It's between ten dollars and $20,000 per year. It actually, they say that's, uh, that's one of the uh, provisions. And then uh, you have to actually create jobs here, uh, depending on how you do that. But if you do all those things and you pass these certain tests and say, yes, I live here, like I have my car here, my insurance, and and I bought property, then they say, okay, that's great. You brought money over here and uh, we like money and we'll just give you a tax break on that one. Very cool. And I think it's something that we're seeing a lot of chatter about at the moment as well. You know, a lot of people have made a lot of money and they don't want to pay all of that tax. So the people are looking at all different ways that they can move. No, you're right. And there's one caveat though, and this is a big one. So some people will think, well, I bought like me, like I bought a lot of my crypto in 2017, 2018, 19, 20, and 21. And I moved over here in April of 2021. So the crypto from that time doesn't follow me over here for no capital gains. That is the big stipulation. So whatever is over there, you have to say, okay, I owe taxes on that. I'll pay that. But moving forward, I'm okay. And I think that's one of those things where people are like, why would I do that? And that's when it comes down to that long-term mentality. Again, three, four, five years. We're only at, what's the macro cap today? Uh, 
Yeah, I think so. Something. Well, we'll say around two trillion macro cap. Let's just go with that number. So I remember in 2017, we didn't even hit a trillion. We thought we were like the biggest ballers of all time. Now we were at three trillion with the two trillion. Everybody's freaking out. Imagine what'll happen in three, four, five, seven years. So this play that me and my wife did here, this is setting ourselves up for long term, not just us kids, grandkids, and things like that. And not to mention the fact that uh, it's a great place to be. Definitely. Great lifestyle. Love that. And I think as well, it's uh, a lot of people over here talk about moving over to trust. And it's the same sort of thing. You don't get those benefits looking backwards. But if you are looking for that long-term play, moving to that sort of structure can be beneficial for the long-term, especially right now when we're seeing you know so much volatility in the market. And as we always like to talk about, things are on sale in our eyes. <laughs> That's right. You know what? You have to appreciate the fact that there's always a sale in crypto. There's always a huge sale. So that's how it goes. And there has been some huge things this year. Like we've seen some big stuff happening. India had the flip that none of us thought would happen. And the inflation rates that are are going on over in the US. Oh, yeah. What do you think about that? How does that affect everything for you? For, I mean, what, how you see it? I think for us, I think everything that we talk about and so much of what we see over here is that people are still driven so much by fear and people are still driven so much by, you know, any little bump in the market really rocks a lot of that. We use conviction a lot and I think it is really the right term for it, that people are still looking at this as a short-term investment for the most part. You know, they're not looking at cryptocurrency as the technology behind it, as the advancements that we make, as the developers that are coming on and the projects that are being created, because that's, the really exciting part. And that's the part that with all this stuff that's happening, that tech's not going away. All of those advancements aren't going away. But you know, it's, it's, it's a funny, it's hard to see that future without actually having it right in front of you. Like, especially like just, I mean, it was hard enough to wrap our heads around Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then along comes NFTs. And we're like, you're paying how much for a picture? And then along comes the metaverse and metaverse plays. And then along comes all the different things that are going to go on with that, where like in the metaverse, you're going to have some type of digital aspect of yourself, digital clothing, digital cars, digital products that are actually going to be able to, to bring on over to the physical side. And it's, everything is going to be merged. Not that you can like take out of your, your screen or your car or your placement. But it's amazing just to think about what could potentially happen. And then, you know, we'll see if it actually all bears fruit. But it's a tough concept when you don't really, you know, see it in front of you. Yeah. And I think you do have to really live and breathe it to be able to see that bigger picture and have a a sense of imagination as well, as you just alluded to. Like, you know, it is hard to grasp. What do you think we're going to see across the rest of you? Like we had an emergency meeting call today. Who knows what's going to come out of that by the Fed? What do you think we're going to see? We're going to see, you know what? Here's the thing. This was a question that had come out on Friday because we knew that Jerome Powell was going to call an emergency meeting of the Fed. And the question which everybody is saying is, what is he going to do? What's going to happen? I'm like, you know, in all honesty, nobody knows. I don't even know if Jerome Powell knows what he's going to do because this whole thing with inflation really ran away from him. I mean, you were looking at, from what they say, 7.5% inflation rate. That's what they say it is. In reality, some people think it's, 9, 11, 15%, depending on who you ask. So think of it this way. Back in the early 80s, the Fed Reserve Chairman Volcker, when he had this much inflation, he was raising rates up to 14%. And he had no problems with it. So that's what we're going to do because we need to battle this inflation. Now it stung, stung the United States, and we went into a little bit of recession, but it came right back after two years. If we have this much inflation, there is no way Jerome Powell can actually come in there to that emergency meeting. Okay, okay, boys. 
we're going to raise this up by three, four, 5%. It can't happen like that dramatically because it'll shutter and stop the whole traditional market. And if the traditional markets shutter and stop, guess what else could stop? Crypto digital assets because we were so combined. If you don't believe me, take a look at the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ and just see as soon as those guys go down, you'll also see crypto go down. So do I know what he's going to say? No. Does it matter in the short term? Yes. Does it matter in the long term? No. Again, two, three, four, five years, it's going to be a whole different story. It just all depends on can you stomach that, this volatility. And for those long-term, you obviously always speak about Bitcoin and Ethereum, but there are a few other projects that you're interested in, I guess, in that longer-term play as well. Can you share those with our listeners? Oh, there's so many. I mean, there's so many that, that you can get into. And that's that's one of the things about this space. I mean, some people will say there's over 6,000. Some people will say there's 16,000 different cryptos out there. I don't know how many there is. I just lost track. But when I look at different products that are out there, I always look at the UTT and think to myself, the UTT is what's the utility? Like, what does it do? And does it do anything special or different than their competitors? And do they do it better? The next one is tokenomics. Is it, you know, uh, 30 quadrillion tokens? Well, that's not going to work out too well. And is there some actual scarcity? The last thing I look at is the team, because I don't know where things are going. But if you have a solid team, and I know where they've been. I can kind of tell you the trajectory of what the product's going to do. So I always take a look at like PayPal, I call it the PayPal mafia. You know, you've got the, the Elon Musk who was on top of that and Peter Thiel. They did okay. Then uh, Dave Chen, uh, he founded uh, YouTube. Oh, not too bad. A couple of people from LinkedIn and Kiva and things like that. Then you take a look at uh, Ethereum. I call them the Ethereum mafia. You know, you look at Dr. Gavin Wood for Polkadot. Take a look at Charles Hoskinson for uh, Cardano. Seems to be doing okay. So when I take a look at projects, I take a look at kind of like the most risky to the least. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, I think are kind of like the safest plays in the most volatile market. Then I go down to the layer ones because everything has to be built on some kind of protocol. It could be Bitcoin if you're a Bitcoin maxi. But I think that if you look at Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, Tezos, Avalanche, Near, Phantom, those types of protocols, it's a pretty good bet because there's all these ecosystems that are out there. So I don't know which one, but I think those would do pretty well. Also Chainlink, because I think to pull in outside real world data to these blockchains, you need an Oracle. So Chainlink's one of those. And the next one that I think are going to be the riskier ones, but have the most potential are play to earn games type of tokens and metaverse plays. So I know everybody's hot on um, the sandbox and Decentraland, but have you tried playing them? Good Lord, they're awful. It's tough, other- isn't it? <laughs> it feels like yeah. we're going back to the 90s. Ah, it's it's bad. But you know what? I mean, you have to go through those to, to get to the next evolution. And I think uh, there's other ones down the road that I'm not even going to mention here. I, I talk about on my channel, but I've invested into those because, again, I looked at the utility, the team and the tokenomics, and they've done pretty well for me so far. But they're down in like, this is the riskier part, the thousand type areas of rankings. And I think that's, again, why it's so important to do that research, because then when they do dip, you Uh, don't mind because you do have that understanding of what's going to happen in the future or what you think is going to happen. Yeah, it's but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to to do all that full-time job (laughs) or just watch someone who does it for you. (laughs) Yeah, you can do that. I'm not even the best at it, but there's a lot of people like if you if you come to the channel in the description, there's a lot of people I watch. So I'll just give you those links. Go watch all those people. Definitely. Now, something really exciting that I definitely want to dive into with you is the fact that you just purchased a house, the beautiful house that we see behind you now, which is very exciting. Um, Now, on YouTube, you were very open and shared that, you know, despite a couple of bumps along the way, 
you did actually get to fund some of this using cryptocurrency and using a loan. Are you able to explain what that process was like for us? Sure. Yeah. So again, you know, the whole time dollar cost averaging, there's a reason that you dollar cost average. So you can actually use it at some day in some way. So I know people out there, they'll say diamond hands, which means you got to hold on to it forever. But why? I mean, we want to live our life, right? I don't want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. So I'm going to take those funds and I'm going to buy the things that I want to buy with it, which is like this house. So what we did is it was a seven-figure home. And uh, we said, okay, here in Puerto Rico, the properties are like outrageous. They are very few and far between and they're overpriced. I must be, I'm sorry, Puerto Rico, but it's true. You guys know it's true. It's they're overpriced. But if you want something, when you go and you, and I think this is in a lot of places, Australia, United States, Canada, doesn't matter. You go and you look at a property and then there's like 10 people behind you looking at the same property and they're all putting in bids. So we knew when we did it, we're like, we'll put in a bid like the other five houses, but we know that someone's going to take along and steal it from us. So we said, here's a bid. What's it going to take? They go, it's going to take cash straight. I said, okay, well, I don't have that in my bank account right now. But here's what I'll do. So you can take your crypto. And we used uh, a platform called Celsius. And Celsius allows you to collateralize your crypto. And they'll give you a loan in fiat, but they get to keep your crypto. So just be aware if you ever do these types of loans, and you have to take a look at the terms of service and things like that. Let's say you need a million dollars, we'll say. So if you're going to get a crypto loan for fiat, they say, okay, give us $2 $2 million worth of crypto. Actually, this is a pretty bad example. Let's go with 100,000. Let's not go crazy. You have 100,000. I need 100,000. Okay. Well, give us 200,000 worth of crypto. That could be Bitcoin, Ethereum, Decentraland, Chainlink, whatever it is. And we will give you the fiat within 24 hours, your cash into your bank account. But here's the thing. You're going to pay us around 9% APY. You can choose if you want to do it over six months, a year, two years, or three years. And on Celsius, if you take the loan out and you want to use that crypto, let's say you say, here's my Bitcoin, here's 200,000 worth of Bitcoin. You would have gained 4.5% yield on that per year, APY. But because you're borrowing against it, they say, we can't give you the yield, but we'll give you the cash. So what will happen is they'll give you that money, you pay it back over time, and then if Bitcoin, because we did this around when Bitcoin's around 50,000, if you pay that money back and Bitcoin is at 100,000, they give you all your Bitcoin back. If you pay 100,000 back and it's down to you know 30,000, well, first of all, you would have gotten margin called and they would have said, re-collateralize and then off you go. So you can do a 2X and get like 9%. You can do a 3X, meaning give us triple, so 300,000, that's 6%. Or you can give us 4X, so give us 400,000 dollars worth of crypto, we will give you the APY of 1% and we'll give you $100,000 and you can do whatever you want with it. So we sold a bit of our crypto. We did a little bit of the crypto loan. And then we also had money in our bank accounts from other businesses. And we pulled it all together and paid cash for this house, which is kind of weird. Honestly, no, I've never done that. And I was like, that's a, when I was doing the wire, I'm like, damn, that's a lot of zeros. So but yeah. uh, that's how it went. Phenomenal. And phenomenal that you could unlock that crypto as well. You know, as you said, something that you really value that you've built and building up over time and actually getting to use that to buy a property. Like, I know. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah, and it's then, crazy. And, and then when you're doing it, you're like, because ah, you never want to sell at this point because this was back in like end of November, early December. When I, I thought, a lot of people thought that because of the four-year cycles, things were going to really take off. Well, they didn't. 
And I actually am ahead right now. And it's, it's not because I'm a genius or anything, just that the timing was right. So I know like when people say, but I really want to hold on. I want to hold on forever. At some point, this is just investment opinion, not investment advice. I must tell everybody that. Sometimes it's good just to take profits along the way. Dollar cost averaging, buy a little bit you know, along the weeks and months. And then we'll take a little profits off the table and you can have dry powder or money in the bank when you see these huge gyps and you can buy when you want to. Mm-hmm. And if you are interested in this, like really looking into that margin call, I think is something that's really important before anyone decides to do this, because that is something that, you know, if the price does dip, that's a huge change. And you've got to be able to to fund that to keep your loan and to keep everything going. I've had like two margin calls so far. <laughs> I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, had, I've had two margin because it was like one of the loans was Bitcoin, the other one was Ethereum. And Ethereum took a huge hit. And I was like, damn it. Well, so they said, okay, Rob, here's a, the opportunity. You can liquidate all your Ethereum right now and we'll pay back the loan, you know, but you, you triple X the Ethereum. But when you do see, here's another thing. When you take loans out, those aren't taxable events here in the United States. But if they liquidate you, they say, well, now we have to liquidate for straight cash. Then it is a taxable event. And that's when the problems happen. So I said, no, 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 I will collateralize more because I believe things will work out pretty well. Now Ethereum's got its own problems, but I think in the short term, the next year or so, I think it's going to be okay. So I just re-collateralized the loan. And then like, you know, over time, two weeks later, the same thing happened. I'm like, let me re-collateralize a little bit more. And then of course, it, it stabilized around the 3000 mark. So well, fingers crossed, it keeps going in the right direction for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me and you both. Uh, and so do you think that this is something that crypto lending, do you think it's going to go mainstream? Do you think we'll see, there is of course, a bit of SEC interest in it at the moment. Do you think we'll see it adopted across the world? I don't think the loans are that big of a concern for the SEC because it's not like you're doing leverage plays where you're like, here's a little bit of Bitcoin and then give me 50x play and I'll, you know, if something bad happens, I'll sell my kidneys. But, you know, that's the crazy trader. But here, you're not leveraging yourself. You're actually over collateralizing. So you're giving, you know, 2x, 3x or 4x just to get a fraction of that back. I think that's not the problem. Here in, the, in America, the SEC looks at it and says, they've already done this to uh, a company called BlockFi. And BlockFi was gaining yield. Like you would hold Bitcoin for you or Ethereum or whatever crypto that it was. And they would pay you a pretty good uh, yield off it. I think it was like uh, 5 to 6%, somewhere around there. And the SEC was like, oh, we don't know how you're doing that. And we don't like that. So we're going to shut you down and we're going to fine you. And they fined them $100 million. And that just came out last week. And the thing that worries me is now that we have BlockFi got tapped for that, we've got two places, Celsius and another one called Voyager. They are on the hook for that too. And it all starts with the individual states and the governors and the uh, legal apparatus and say, hey, we don't like what you're doing. We don't understand it. So we're going to give you a cease and desist. And that's exactly what happened to BlockFi. That's what happened to Celsius. Voyager hasn't hit that yet, but uh, we will see. We will see. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. And I think it's, you know, the world is such a small place now. If you have an internet connection and you you can move wherever you like, like I see all these rules and regulations and people coming in to enforce things, but there's so much that they can't stop at the same time. No, you're, you know what? You're right. And I think, and see some people, this is my opinion and I'm, it's not very popular. <laughs> Even on my channel, every time I say it, people are like, Rob, you're an idiot. And sure. So I think I believe that a little regulation is needed in this space because 
the thing that allowed the internet to flourish in America and, and throughout the world, I think, was uh, Law 230. Law 230 gave the ability for uh, websites and different online presences to not get sued by the people that placed a statement on their platform. Because everybody in the very beginning, because I'm old enough to remember this, is that they didn't want to you know, do a lot of different websites because like, well, what if somebody says something and then somebody, I'm held liable and they come after me? Law 230 abolished that. And they said, this is what's going to happen with freedom of speech. And it was okay. And that one rule allowed everything to kind of just ripple out and do well. So I think that there's a little regulation goes a heck of a long way. And I will say that America will probably screw it up. I I have no faith uh, (laughs) in the SEC, but it's okay because now that you have the rules to the game, now you know how you can work around those rules and the different players that are out there, the big money managers, the big hedge funds, the big institution investors can come and say, okay, now I have guidance. I, I'm not going to you know, lose everything in some kind of crazy SEC lawsuit. Let's get in. Now we have the rules. Yeah. Just some guidelines and out of the gray. Definitely. Now, you did touch on at the start, dollar cost averaging. Is that still your strategy today? Yeah, it's very boring, but it does work out pretty well. So there's three ways to look at it, actually. I got a friend named Diddy, and uh, he's from the Bitcoin family. He's the guy that in 2017 sold everything. He sold his car, his businesses. He packed up all his family into a van and started going around the world and sold it all for Bitcoin. But that was like early 2017 when Bitcoin was like between 500 and 800 bucks. So imagine what she has now. So that's called going all in. And that is crazy. If you want to do that, that actually works. Again, investment opinion, investment advice. It works if you can stomach it for years and years to come because I kind of did that in 2017 at the peak. Didn't work out too well for me in the short term. But imagine this, if I would have bought everything at 19,000 as far as like Bitcoin and then uh, Ethereum was 800 or 650 bucks, I still would have been okay, but I would have had to wait three or four years. Can you do that? Can you do that? That's, that's something for you to answer watching the video. So there's that. There's another one called value cost averaging. Like, let's say you have a thousand bucks. You're like, I don't know what to do with a thousand. So what you could do is instead of going all in over a finite amount of time, let's say three or four months, you say, I'm going to get 250 on the first of the month and I'm going to buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then next month in the very first, I'm going to take 250. I'm going to buy blah, blah, blah. And then the third and the fourth month and all of you go. That's called value cost averaging. But what I do is just dollar cost average, which is every single day every single day, just about. And you can do it. It doesn't matter. It's one day, three days, five days. You just know that I'm going to put in the money that I have and I'm just going to let it ride. So like for me, just about every day, I'm buying the same thing. It's uh, uh, Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, Chainlink, and Algorand. But before that, I bought a ton of different other stuff. I mean, Cardano and, and, and Avalanche and, and Near and Solana and uh, Decentraland and Genzokishi and all these different things that just over time, I know will do well. I don't care if it flounders and I don't make them all hit. I don't have to have them all hit. I just have to have a couple hit and I'll be okay. That's dollar cost averaging. And we'll pop some links to your your channels, of course, in the show notes, because Algorand and Chainlink, they're very interesting and they're ones that aren't chatted about on the pod very much. Do you mind sharing at a very high level why they're ones you're interested in? So, well, here's the thing. I'm not super duper smart, but I will tell you one thing that I, that I do have. Like Chainlink, Again, if you want to pull any kind of like outside data, outside kind of price action, outside kind of like people use all these, these examples like the weather or some type of precipitation for farmers, or you want to put in some kind of like, like driving manifest or something like that, it doesn't matter. 
all this all this information that you have on the outside that's not on a blockchain, you need an Oracle to pull that in. So if you want to get the accurate prices for something for a smart contract to actually execute and run properly, you need one of those Oracles to do that or else the whole thing crashes. So Ethereum is all about smart contracts, pulling things in, eliminating middlemen, off, off it goes. So that makes sense in that one. Algorand is another one like, like Ethereum. It's just that with this one, remember the, the UTT I talked about? Their team is what really impressed me because the person that invented it, and I always butcher his name, Makari or Mikari, but he is a MIT professor and he has been doing cryptography since the early 80s. He also won the uh, Turing Award for mathematics. He's a pretty smart guy and he's put a lot of people around the no business. And then also on top of that, I had this guy named Anthony Scaramucci on my show for this house video we did. And I was talking to him about different projects. And he says, you know, I've looked at a lot of different ones. And uh, me and my team, we did a deep dive into Algorand for six months. And after that, we decided this was a good one. And uh, we put in a quarter of a billion dollars into their project. I was like, that sounds pretty good. So the things that I look at, I mean, scalability, TPS transactions per second, and a great team. Of course, the layer one, I think you could do pretty well. But again, who knows? There's a lot of great businesses out there that just don't make it. So that's why I try to find the best ones I can and latch on and then kind of spread a little bit around. Keep doing your research. Keep up to date for sure. Try. We try. Definitely. Well, Rob, it's been so fantastic having you on. Is there any, I guess, last words of wisdom or advice that you'd give to someone, especially just starting out or starting to ramp up their strategy? Yeah, just know that it's it's going to be volatile. And this isn't like the traditional markets where you get in and you buy, you know, 100 shares of Visa and it goes up, you know, 0.5% a day. And you're like, whoa, I'm loaded. You're going to see some huge swings and you're going to go up and you're going to go down. But over the long term, things will work out. The only thing I can tell you is this. Even though we talk about the long-term goes really well, there are some projects that will not come back. Because you have to understand, if cryptocurrency has 6,000 plus projects, and you put all your money into XYZ coin that has awful tokenomics, but you're like, well, it could do pretty well. Some of those projects won't come back and you will lose a lot. So it's important that if you're in this space, just like we said, Alicia, you have to do uh, as much research. You have to stay on top of it. It's just like any other investment that you could possibly get into. And that, I think, is what separates the people that are successful in investing to the ones that just go, maybe it'll work. Very wise words of wisdom. Well, we'll pop everything in the show note where everyone can find you, uh, YouTube, Twitter, almost everywhere, and a great email as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Rob, and we will talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.